Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, church. How are we all? That's good. Good to see you all. Man, I've never heard a better description of Corbin than passion for life. You guys got to have a chat to him. That, that man is excited, and, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm pretty sure about what he's excited about, which is Jesus, and it's awesome to see him being a part of our church. I really encourage you guys to have a chat to him. He has got uh, an amazing testimony. Uh, last time I was up here, I started my message by telling you off, didn't I? I got up here and I told you all that you don't smile enough, and uh, it was very brave of me uh, to do that because I sort of might have been putting my preaching preaching career, a bit of a jeopardy, but that's okay. Uh, I must say to you, though, I've never seen more smiles in my entire life than I did on that Sunday morning. So props to you guys. How good. Um, I do need to start as well by just saying uh, apologies if I get a little bit loud this morning. Um, As much as I am excited about what the Lord has revealed to me, I've also been uh, battling with a little bit of an ear infection. Uh, So it's kind of made me lose all of my volume regulation. Uh, However, I think I'd be winning the, the, the award for the loudest preacher here at Crossroads anyway, uh, so we'll be okay. Anyway, uh, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord, amen? I say that every time, and I really do mean it, it is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. This morning, uh, we are continuing in our series titled, What is My Next Step? What's My Next Step? It's been a question that we've heard a lot here at Crossroads recently and a question that I've sort of adopted as a wee bit of a motto in my own life. Uh, With everything that I'm doing in my life, I'm always asking myself the question, what's my next step? It's kind of drummed into my mind a little bit like a a song that you just can't get rid of. And uh, I won't lie to you, at times it can be incredibly frustrating. It can be. Because most of the time when we ask ourselves the question, what's my next step, the answer is kind of trivial, right? It's, it's something that can be kind of insignificant. Take, for example, when I'm preparing my sermon and I ask myself, what's the next step? Well, nine out of ten times it's to the pantry to get myself another bicky. You know what I'm talking about, right? These, these, these next steps might not be so amazing. For you, it might be to prepare lunch for your family or get your kids to school tomorrow or finish that project at work or that university at, at um, oh, sorry, not that university, that assignment at university, whatever it might be, sometimes these steps can feel like something obvious and something insignificant. But the perspective that we are looking at this question from throughout this series is slightly different. Instead of a question that's asking yourself what you're doing, it's a question that asks you where you're going, a perspective on your faith direction. Maybe it's a simple question for you to answer, or maybe it's difficult, or maybe you're a little bit like me where you've got this big, long list of possibilities all these potentials, these things that God, you think God is calling you into, but you just don't know how to take a thousand strides with one step. Well, thankfully, the good thing about being a Christian, there's more than one, but one of the good things about being a Christian is that every step we take, we follow in the footsteps of someone who has gone before us, and his name was Jesus, which means that no matter how hard this question might be, we can know that we're not alone in it. And I love this for us because it's kind of like a cheat code, right? Every time we gain insight into our next steps, and if we're ever unsure on whether it's the right direction or not, 
we can, uh, we can then go and take this direction and align it with the, the, with the steps that Jesus walked while he was here on earth. And if it's consistent with the life that Jesus lived and the words that Jesus preached, we can know that it's taking us in the right direction. So today our message is titled, Step Up. And we'll be taking a look at, uh, at just one of those steps that Jesus took while he was here on earth. Bless you. It was nice. On the 18th of March 2018, I was plunged into the ice-cold waters of Turatia Stream up at Massey University. Uh, the water was rather low at this time of year, and so in my baptism I had to do the kind of uh, down-on-my-knees-and-face-forward uh, baptism, which was cool. There's, there's nowhere in the Bible that tells you you can't do it that way, so we did it. Uh, I'd created this little Facebook event and invited a bunch of my friends and family to come and bear witness, and I'd asked my dad to baptize me, which was uh, pretty special. It was a moment in my life that I had anticipated for quite some time. I always knew it was going to happen, but I never knew when or where it would take place. So there I was under the ice-cold waters in a moment that I had expected to change my life. And then the moment passed. And then another moment passed. And a couple of moments later, I started to wonder whether or not there'd be any life left to change by the time that I was pulled out. I didn't know what was going on. But the reason for this slight delay came from a very simple fact that I know to be true. My dad was a very thorough man, an incredibly thorough man. He was not going to allow there to be a centimeter, not a millimeter of dryness left on me. He was making sure that every single part of me was completely submerged, completely immersed in that small amount of water that he was working with. And church, I've seen the video. I was only under that water for about three seconds. There was absolutely nothing alarming about my baptism. Maybe I'm just dramatic. I could see my wife nodding. But every time I think back to my baptism, the one thing that I remember most is the time that I spent under the water. And what God has revealed to me in this is that even though it felt like a long time under that water, it has since propelled me into a life filled with blessings. Not because of anything that I did, but because the very same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave was once again activated in a child of God once again recognized, once again glorified. See, the waters of baptism are a symbol of the death and resurrection of our Savior. Our old self is buried under the waters and we are raised back to life in the newness of Christ Jesus. For the disciples, it would have felt like a long time that Jesus was in that tomb. It would have felt like forever. They had forgotten his prophecies and stuck themselves in mourning. They had forgotten his promises and stuck themselves in misery. But thankfully, that wasn't the end. Jesus went to the grave and used what little power it had over his believers to propel them forward into a life filled with blessings, filled with great things, not because of anything we had done, not because of anything that we deserved, but because he loved us so much that he was willing to bear our sin and shame. And he took it to the grave and he buried it there. And he was meticulous about it. He was thorough. He made sure that every single chain of sin was in that grave before he broke it in two. So that anyone who believes in him and anyone who professes his resurrection shall not perish but have eternal life. 
Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, It is by grace that we are saved, not our own works. We aren't baptized because we have to. We aren't baptized to be saved. We are baptized because we too want to activate, to recognize, and to glorify the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't figured it out already, this morning we're talking about baptism. We're going to find ourselves in Romans 6 in just a little bit. Um, But before I do get into that, I kind of wanted to start by answering the question, what is baptism? Uh, Because in order for me to stand up here and preach about something, I need to make sure that everybody listening has their own sort of uh, foundation of understanding. Now, I'm aware that probably 90% of you already know what baptism is, and so maybe you just get to hear my perspective on it. Um, But for those of you who don't know what baptism is, uh, this might be the part for you. So what is baptism? Well, Google says, baptism is an act of symbolizing a believer's identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and a public declaration of faith, which I thought was pretty good. Seems to be someone's converting Google. (laughs) But I recognize that there are, are a number of different views and beliefs surrounding baptism in different churches. And in the lead up to my sermon this morning, uh, I listened to a number of different debates on the matter just to get a feel for what was being discussed. However, in light of that, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to approach it in the same manner. Uh, I'm just one person up here with a microphone and I'm just one perspective, and I don't think it would be a very unbiased debate if I was to be debating myself on it. Um, Although I'm not opposed to it, Uh, If anyone wants to have a chat or discussion about it, I'm open, Uh, and if I ever do find myself in a public debate, you guys will be the first to know, trust me. Instead, what I want to do and how I want to answer the question is by looking at an example given to us in the Word of God, and the greatest example of these uh, is is the baptism of Jesus, which we find in Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13, and it reads this. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it, saying, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus replied to him, saying, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. And so John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, And settling on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. In this uh, scripture, in this testimony of um, the baptism of Jesus, uh, we are shown three important points that I believe answer the question of what is baptism. The first of these points is found in verse 15, where Jesus says, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. Here, Jesus is encouraging believers to be obedient to God's commandment. Baptism is an opportunity for us to reflect God's love back to Him, to glorify Him and honor His word through our obedience. It serves as a visible expression of our commitment to following Christ and fulfilling His commands, showing a willingness to align our own lives with uh, with God's will. The second point uh, is found in verse 16, which says, After his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. Now, this is showing the practical method of baptism. 
To be immersed in water is a picture of going down into the grave and being buried. And coming up out of the water is then a picture of being raised to life with Christ. Uh, Sometimes it is objected that the essential thing uh, symbolized in baptism is not the death and resurrection of Jesus, but the purification and cleansing of sin. Um, I honestly don't see a need for the dispute. The cleansing of sin and the resurrection of Jesus are one and the same thing. But to say that, what, that the washing of sins is the only thing, or even the most important thing, uh, does not faithfully represent New Testament teachings, which we'll, uh, we will see in our scripture today. And the third point we see in this scripture comes at verse 17, which reads, And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. After Jesus is baptized, we see this glorious moment of identification. The heavens open and declare that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And I believe this shows the influence of a public declaration. When we are baptized, we are pronouncing to the world that our identity belongs to God. Baptism is a powerful spiritual moment that doesn't just strengthen our own faith, but also encourages other believers who bear witness. While I acknowledge that professing your faith in in such a public setting may be quite the daunting task, it's an opportunity to show others and yourself the need for Jesus. We don't come to the waters of baptism because we have it all figured out. We come to them because we've we've figured out that we don't without the help of our Savior. So the three points. One, obedience. We want to reflect a fraction of God's love back to Him, and so we are obedient to His Word. Two, Immersion. We immerse ourselves in the waters of baptism as a representation of the resurrection of Jesus and cleansing of our sins. And three, identification. We pronounce to the world that we belong to Jesus. And before we move on from this uh, what is baptism segment, uh, there was one other common question that I quickly wanted to answer um, in regards to baptism, and that is whether or not baptism has anything to do with salvation. Uh, The short answer is no. To say that baptism or any other action is necessary for salvation is to say that we are not justified by faith alone, but by faith plus a certain work, the work of baptism, which we know is inconsistent with the Word of God, as we read in Ephesians 2 verse 8. We also know this because when Jesus went to Calvary and was crucified, he was crucified next to a thief. And the thief recognized Jesus for who he was, and Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say to that thief, go and get baptized, and then I will save you. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. He saved him instantaneously. Baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary if we are to be obedient to Christ, for he commanded baptism uh, for all who believe in him. Right, that's enough of an introduction. Let's get into our scripture for today. Uh, If you've got your Bible with you, uh, would you open them up to Romans 6? Uh, We will be reading uh, verses 1 to 11. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind me. Yep, there it is. How good. Uh, I'm reading the ESV translation if anyone's interested. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We ask ourselves, what is our next step? But sometimes I believe we need a reminder of the steps that were taken so that we could even walk. And if you need a reminder, you go back and you read Romans 6, 1 to 11, again and again and again, and you never forget it. The ultimate sacrifice made by the Son of God, surrendering His divine power to the clutches of death. Surrendering His divine power to the clutches of death, the pits of the grave, to pay the consequences and bear the punishment of your sin and mine. The only reason that we can even take our next step is because everything that was holding us back, everything that could hold us back, is still stuck in the tomb. If you're struggling with your next step, or if even life is just feeling a little bit difficult, then you have to get up out of that grave. I should make a song about that, Jake. (laughs) What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. It's likely that Paul was responding to a question posed by, the Jewish, uh, by his Jewish opponents, a question that they asked regularly as a means to undermine the gospel of grace, because in their view, this gospel of grace was leading people to continue in their sin. <coughs> Excuse me. And I completely understand this, this mis- oh, I completely understand uh, this kind of misunderstanding that they have. It can be difficult at times to truly grasp the nature of God's grace. And sometimes grace is misconstrued, you know, used as this get-out-of-jail-free card. We kind of go along living the way that we want to live and kind of stay oblivious to our sin, knowing that we are covered by grace. That we're covered by grace. However, grace wasn't given to indulge in sin, but to empower us to live without it. How do I know this? Galatians 5 verse 13 says, My brothers and sisters, grace called you to be free, but do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Paul goes on to show why his opponent's interpretation of the gospel is inconsistent, which I think for us is a great picture of uh, the posture that we should have in response to these questions of faith. Uh, Paul doesn't leave them on the crescendo of a flat no, but instead takes this opportunity to once again profess the good news. And thankfully for us, he interprets the gospel of grace through the act of baptism. While I was preparing this message, I was kind of uh, in that stage where I'm trying to figure out what my key points to convey are uh, from Paul's teaching. Uh, It's actually one of the more difficult parts of writing a sermon, not just because I lack creativity, but because it kind of sets up the whole backbone of the, of the message. But after some time and some reflection, it became clear to me that these verses we've read in Romans 6 
perfectly aligned with the three principles that we've learned through the baptism of Jesus Christ. Obedience, immersion, and identification. And I don't think this is any coincidence, so that's what I'm going to use, and you'll see what I mean. Verse 3, obedience. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in, uh, baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What I find interesting in this scripture, in this whole scripture, is that Paul doesn't once command us to be baptized. Not once. He just kind of assumes that the listener is either already baptized or at some point going to be baptized. And I reckon the reason for this is because Paul just expected believers to be obedient to God. He knew that Jesus had commanded baptism, and so for Paul, it didn't seem like a matter for contention. The measure of God's love and grace was so obvious to Paul as it is to many of us. And if there is any opportunity to reflect just a small measure of that love back to him through an act of obedience, we ought to do so. Not out of obligation, but out of desire. Picture this. It's Christmas Day, and you've just unwrapped the present from your relative, right? And after unwrapping that present, you're now taking those mandatory steps across the lounge room to give the post-pres hug. Church, if you're not giving hugs after every present on Christmas, there is no love in your household. <laughs> that's, another, that's another sermon entirely. But anyway, you're walking over to give them a hug, and they stay seated. They stay seated. The worst possible move that you could do on Christmas Day. And now you've got to do that kind of awkward lean down hug. Kind of like the, the one arm goes around the back and the other arm just kind of limply hangs there. It doesn't really know what it's doing. Your cheek awkwardly grazes their neck and now it's a whole lot more intimate than it ever needed to be. You feel like you're hugging this like potted lemon tree and the entire family is now feeling incredibly uncomfortable. Christmas is ruined because of one simple hug. But you never ask them to stand up. You never do. Not before, not during, not after. You don't ask them to stand up. You just expected that they'd already be standing. Paul already expects us to be standing. He already expects obedience to be a natural response to our faith in Christ. So he doesn't command us to be baptized because Jesus has already done so. Verse 3 isn't a demand to be baptized. It's a call to obedient Christians, which should be every single one of us. Get up out of that chair when you hug someone. Uh, unless you can't, then don't. Verse 4, immersion. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. We know that being submerged in the waters of baptism is a symbol of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I believe that this concept of immersion goes so much further than that. Paul tells us that from, from baptism comes a newness of life. And this newness of life comes from immersion with the Spirit of God. Just as water envelops and surrounds us during baptism, so too does the Spirit of God immerse us in His presence. To be immersed is to involve oneself deeply with something or someone. Whether you're baptized or not, we need to be taking time out of our lives to recognize the sacrifice that was made to remove the division between us and God, 
the sacrifice that was made so that we might even have the option to be immersed in the Spirit of God. And this closeness with Jesus, it holds so much power too. When we become afflicted by pain and suffering, when we encounter the hardships of life, we need to be aware that it holds no authority over us. Baptism is a message. It's a declaration reminding sin of its place. And its place is in the grave. If the waters of sin feel as though they're rising in your life, remember that you are covered by the blood of the Lamb. You are immersed in Jesus Christ. Sin cannot drown you. Why? Because it's impossible to drown that which cannot sink. You'll be walking on top of it, just like Peter in Matthew 14. All you have to do is keep your eyes on Jesus and remain in closeness with Him. And no power in hell can separate you from that. If you haven't been baptized, it's time to step up. It's time to send a message to the pits of hell, reminding them of who you belong to. And you make it threatening. You tell every single member of your family about it. You tell every one of your friends about it. You put it on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You do it in the rivers of Manawatu so that the water of baptism flows throughout the land. You do it at the beach so the lifeguards can bear witness. You do whatever you need to do. To, you do whatever you need to do to make it threatening. Because sin has no power or authority over you. Immerse yourself in his spirit and walk in the newness of life. Verse 5, identification. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This unity with Christ is where we find our identification. And identity is such an important part of the Christian life because it shapes how we see ourselves, how we interact with others, and how we navigate the challenges of life. When we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection through baptism, our identity is transformed. We are no longer defined by our past mistakes or shortcomings or any label the world might ever put on you. Instead, our identity is found in Christ. Through baptism, others no longer see brokenness, they see Jesus. How do I know this? Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ himself. You might think that all you come out of those waters with is wet hair. But in reality, you are stepping out with the mark of salvation. Yes, you were already saved, but now you are putting it on show for the entire world to see. Take my wedding ring, for example. It acts as a symbol of my commitment to my wife, a public declaration of my love for her. But even though it holds a great significance, my ring is not what makes me married. I'm married whether I like it or not. And that's good because I've lost this thing a few times. I always like it, darling. Let's just clear that up. Instead, it acts as a constant reminder of the vows that we spoke to each other before God and before family. And likewise, it's not baptism that saves us, but it's a constant reminder of who our identity belongs to. A little while ago, I was asked by a member of our church how I managed to stay confident in my faith when I've endured so much pain and suffering. And the answer I gave him has stuck with me because it was something that I had been asking myself a lot too. I didn't really know how to answer the question, but the words that came out of my mouth finally made it clear to me. 
I said to him, it's my identity. You see, what the world has to offer me pales in comparison to who God has created me to be. The winds may blow and the storm might rage on, but my house is built on a rock. The devil can throw all he wants at you, but he cannot take away your identity. Man, you go talk to my mum. She's been through hell and back, but you take one step inside of her house and you will feel the presence of God like water in the air. Why? Because that home doesn't belong to a resident of the earth. It belongs to a citizen of heaven. Nothing on this earth can take away your identity. Nothing. And once you've found it in the rock of salvation, it's time to stop playing defense and start playing offense. You take it into the waters of baptism and you clothe yourself in it. And you let everybody know. They might question you. Heck, they might even hate you for it. But it's better that they know. Because when the heavens open and the ground begins to crumble and fall away, there will only be one house left standing. And that house is the house of the Lord. In my message today, I've, I've only really used a small part of the scripture that I was given. Uh, and the reason, that it's, the reason I've done that is because uh, this teaching that Paul gives us is only really saying one thing. That those who are baptized are baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through that, they no longer walk in sin. And the, but they walk in the newness of life. We expanded on it a bit further to find that baptism is more than just a symbol, but it's also the obedience, immersion, and identification with Jesus. But as our message is titled Step Up, I thought it would only be appropriate to end my message with a wee bit of encouragement around baptism. And I'll invite the worship team to come back and join me as well. The most common objection to baptism as a Christian is the feeling of not being ready. Many believers struggle with doubts and uncertainties about taking this step. You might feel unworthy and underprepared to make such a public declaration of faith. You might feel anxious and nervous to be baptized in front of your peers. You may be worried about what other people think or how they will perceive your decision. It's okay to feel this way. Baptism is a significant milestone in the journey of faith, and it's okay to feel a little bit apprehensive about it. But what you cannot do is allow the enemy, into tr- enemy to trick you into thinking that you have to have it all figured out before you get there. That you have to be perfect. Because that is simply not true. I've been baptized and heaven knows I'm far from having it all figured out. I'm far from perfect. But thankfully, I don't have to be. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. If you're considering getting baptized... I want to tell you why you should do it. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God walked on this earth, and the whole time He was here, He was thinking about you. He didn't want your story to be one of tragedy and affliction, so He rewrote it. He broke the powers of sin and the grave and offered salvation to you as a free gift. And now you have the small opportunity to reflect a small amount of that love back to Him to honor his word and glorify his name, so why are you still dry? You know, I only spent three seconds under the waters of Tudatia stream. Jesus was in the grave for three days. Man, I ought to be baptized again and again and again and again. Don't delay your response to his love any longer. It's time to step into the waters. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough for the sacrifice that you paid through your dearly beloved Son. Lord, I just want to spend a moment praying over those of us who are considering uh, being baptized. Lord, that you would surround them in your guidance and grace. Pour out your blessings upon them, Lord. Renew their spirits, refresh their life, and strengthen their resolve to follow you faithfully. And Lord, as they stand on the threshold of this decision, may they find assurance in your unfailing love. Father, we want to honor you in everything that we do, in the waters of baptism, in our obedience to your word, and in every step of our life. Why? Because we love you, we cannot stop praising you, and we cannot stop telling you that we're ready to stop, we're ready to step up. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content. But thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.